Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God, our Heavenly Father, and our Lord and Savior, Jesus the Christ. Amen. Author and speaker Stephen Covey tells the story of Charles Garfield, a psychologist who had done extensive research on peak performers in the world of athletics and business. He had also studied peak performances in the NASA program, watching astronauts rehearse everything on Earth over and over again in a simulated environment. He has found that almost all world-class peak performers are visualizers. They see it, they feel it, they experience it and before they actually do it. And uh, Covey writes, they begin with the end in mind. The Apostle Paul challenges us to begin with the end in mind, to produce the harvest of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. Yes, he wants all of us to visualize a harvest of righteousness that comes through Christ Jesus. He wants us to see it. He wants us to feel it. He wants us to experience it before we actually achieve it. Paul writes these words to the followers of Christ in Philippi, a city in Macedonia, which lay along one of the main roads between the east and the west in the Roman Empire. Paul is particularly fond of the the Philippian church, the congregation that he founded in his second missionary journey. And he begins by saying, I thank my God every time I remember you, constantly praying with joy in every one of my prayers for all of you, because of your sharing in the gospel from the first day until now. You can hear the sincere affection in his voice as he thanks God for the Philippians joyfully prays for them and feels deep gratitude for their sharing in the good news of Jesus. But even though Paul sounds a bit upbeat here, you know that he was writing from prison and awaiting trial before the magistrates in the Roman Empire. He's preparing to take take a stand in defense and confirmation of the gospel. And he does not know if the trial will result in his release or his execution. Either way, he is convinced that his imprisonment has actually helped to spread the gospel. And so that has become known throughout the world of the imperial guard and to everyone else that my imprisonment is for Christ. He keeps the end in mind knowing that God is working for good in every situation. So how can we begin with the end in mind, trusting God to produce a harvest of righteousness with us? This is an important question to answer as we begin the month of December and look toward the celebration of the birth of Christ at Christmas. It is also a pressing question as we think about the day of Jesus Christ, 
That day in which human history comes to an end and we all stand before our judge. So how do we begin today to make choices that will result in a harvest of righteousness? First, we see it. Some congregations today, like our own, feel insecure because they are small and have limited resources. But God can do big things, even with the smallest of congregations. Just as a tiny mustard seed grows up and becomes the greatest of the shrubs and puts forth large branches so that the birds of the air can make their nests in its shade. In the Gospel of Mark, Jesus used the mustard seed as an illustration of the kingdom of God, talking about how this tiny seed produces a shrub that provides the birds with security, protection, and peace. In his book, Making the Small Church Effective, Carl Dudley celebrates the value of mustard seed congregations. He says, in a big world, the small church has remained intimate. In a fast world, the small church has been steady. In an expensive world, the small church has remained plain. In a complex world, the small church has remained simple. In a rational world, the small church has kept feelings. In a mobile world, the small church has been an anchor. In an anonymous world, the small church calls us by name, by nickname. We are all challenged to see a harvest of righteousness in congregations of every size, including small ones. The places like ours that provide intimacy, stability, simplicity, and deep-spirited friendship. The next step in visualizing a harvest of righteousness is to feel it. I think it's interesting to note in his letter to the Philippians that Paul doesn't begin with a statement of Christian doctrine or theology. Instead, he uses real feeling. He says this, I long for all of you with the compassion of Christ Jesus. Isn't that beautiful? Paul shares his feelings with them, offering them nothing less than the compassion of Jesus, an emotion that Jesus shows towards people who are sick or hungry or hopeless. Compassion literally means to suffer with. And it's such an important word in Scripture. When Jesus shows his compassion toward people, he suffers with them. And Paul does the same when he offers the Philippians the compassion of Jesus. What would it mean for us to suffer with the people around us? Some of you remember uh, Mr. Bobbitt. It hasn't really been that long, March of 2019, when he passed away. Michael was a trumpet player. 
I think he carried his trumpet with him wherever he went, so that if someone ever asked if he would play, he was ready to go. He had taught band in East St. Louis for 40 years. He was loved by all of his students. He taught his, he, he was tough on his kids, as he would call them. In a public school environment, he taught Christian virtues and attitudes out of pure love for those his kids. And I believe he helped nearly 80 of his band students to get full scholarships in college um, all over the country. We've seen some of his students come who are, who are now uh, professional players. Quite an amazing guy. The real point of me talking about Mr. Bobbitt for a second here is every Thanksgiving day he would go down to the city hall in East St. Louis and of course he had his trumpet right alongside with him and he would during that Thanksgiving meal for the homeless play Christmas songs to those that were there who had come for a hot meal but then he would also sit down with them and have a conversation with them. He was the real deal. No harvest of righteousness is complete without compassion. When we have compassion with, for people, we suffer with them, and we take steps to alleviate their pain. And this is my prayer, says St. Paul, that your love may overflow more and more with knowledge and full insight to help you to determine what is best. Yes, it's true that Paul wants us to feel the pain of our brothers and sisters and show them an overflowing love, but he also wants us to grow in knowledge and insight so that we can determine what is the best as we try to help a world in need. Keeping the end in mind helps one to see and feel just how to apply compassion. Remember that the world-class peak performers are visualizers. They see it, they feel it, they experience it before they actually do it. They begin with the end in mind. Well, the vision of St. Paul is that the end of time, we may be pure and blameless having produced a harvest of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. Those are his words. This is a lofty vision, but it is one we can actually see in our life together. We can see it, we can feel it, and we can experience it. The word righteousness means right relationship. So a harvest of righteousness is experienced when people are in a right relationship with God and with each other. Paul knows that a right relationship with God comes through the gift of Jesus. And he writes that in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. Paul also believes that people can be a right, in a right relationship with each other. So he urges the Philippians to be of the same mind, the same, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. 
the harvest of righteousness involving a right relationship with God and a right relationship with each other is a vision that we are working toward as Christians. In whatever we do, we should begin this goal of righteousness in mind. After all, as Stephen Covey would noted, if you visualize the wrong thing, you'll produce the wrong thing. According to the blessed apostle, we experience righteousness when we do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility regard others as better than ourselves. We experience it when we follow the example of one of the great football players, Gail Sayers. You remember him from Chicago? Um, when Sayers was a sophomore at the University of Kansas, he saw a sign on the, the desk of his track coach and it said, I am third. Well, that's kind of a bizarre thing, he thought. So he asked the coach, what's that all about? And the coach said, the Lord is first. My friends are second. And I am third. When Sayers began to play football for the Bears, he put on a medallion that said, I am third. And he wore that medallion throughout his entire professional career. Righteousness is experienced when we focus on a right relationship with God and others ahead of ourselves. I am confident of this, writes the Apostle Paul, that the one who began a good work among you will bring it to completion by the day of Jesus Christ. Do you notice that we do not achieve a harvest of righteousness by our human effort alone, but by allowing God to work through us. My home pastor, Pastor Mike Ernst, used to, used to say, you know, my job as a pastor is to just get out of the way and let God do his work. I've always tried to keep that in my mind. The Lord began a good work among us and will bring it to completion when Christ returns at the end of time. So with God's help, we can do it. The good news of this passage is that God has already begun a good work among us. And God is continuing to work for good in our lives. This will be true in the weeks of Advent that lead us up to Christmas. And it will be true until the final day of Christ. What is going on in human history is nothing less than an unfolding of God's ultimate design. Even though the fingerprints of God are not always clearly revealed to us, Paul assures us that what God has begun, God will bring it to completion. So when it comes to the end of the visualization process, the command to do it is really not dependent on human efforts and abilities alone. It is not dependent upon the size or influence of our little church. Let the little town of Bethlehem be your example. Look what greatness came from that place, as small as it was. 
Instead, it is more accurate to say that we should let God do it through us. This is possible only when we begin with the end in mind and focus on seeing, feeling, and experiencing the harvest of righteousness that God desires for each one of us. Let's pray. Oh Lord, give us confidence in your work in us. Help us to escape our reticence to join your work in our lives. Show us your way. Help us to see, to feel, and to experience your good work so that we might do your will. Give us your spirit that what you have begun, you will complete in us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.